Welcome to episode four of Melody's Emotional Podcast. We'll start off this episode with some definitions. Restraint. Restricting someone's movements without consent by moving the person from one place to another or by confining the person so as to substantially interfere with their liberty. Without consent means by force, intimidation, or deception. If you are incompetent or 13 or younger, then all restraint is without consent if the parents did not acquiesce. If you are 14, 15, or 16, all restraint that results in you leaving the state and leaving a 120-mile radius, that's in case you live close to the border, of your residence and your parents did not acquiesce. Abduct does not equal snatch. It means to restrain someone by moving or confining with intent to prevent their liberation by either secreting them in a place where they are not likely to be found, hiding them, or using or threatening to use deadly force. Relative. Parent, step-parent, ancestor, sibling, uncle, or aunt, including an adoptive relative of the same degree through marriage or adoption. Person, individual, corporation, or association. Individual, a human being who has been born and is alive, i.e. not a fetus. So we can restate the definition of person as a living human after birth or corporation or association. After those definitions fittingly is 20.02 unlawful restraint. This one is pretty easy if you know the definitions. You commit unlawful restraint by intentionally or knowingly restraining another person. Restraint for the purpose of effecting a lawful arrest is not an offense. 20.02 Part D. And there are two affirmative defenses. The first affirmative defense applies to the relative of a child 13 or younger, who intends to assume lawful control of the child. The second affirmative defense applies to a child who is 14, 15, or 16, where the restrainer is not more than three years older than the child and does not use force, intimidation, or deception. Section 20.03, Kidnapping. You kidnap someone by intentionally or knowingly abducting them. Kidnapping has a similar affirmative defense to unlawful restraint. It applies to a relative of the victim who did not use or threaten to use deadly force and only did it to assume lawful control. I guess that means regular force is okay. 20.04 is aggravated kidnapping. This is where you kidnap someone, so you intentionally or knowingly abduct them, and then you do a little extra. You either use or exhibit a deadly weapon, or you intend to, one, hold the person for ransom, two, use them for a shield or hostage, three, facilitate the commission of a felony or the flight after you commit or attempt to commit a felony, four, inflict bodily injury or sexual abuse, five, terrorize them or a third person, Six, interfere with the performance of a government or political function. That brings us to 20.05, smuggling of persons. First, you have to intend to obtain a pecuniary benefit, 
for knowingly encouraging or inducing someone to enter or remain in the country in violation of federal law by concealing, harboring, or shielding the person from detection. Or you knowingly use any kind of conveyance, car, boat, airplane, etc., to transport someone with the intent to either conceal them from the police or flee from police attempting to arrest or detain you. As long as you don't do anything extra to enhance the punishment for the crime, you can use the affirmative defense that you were related to the person. Related doesn't mean what it meant in the definition at the beginning of this episode. It means related within the second degree of consanguinity, blood, or by affinity, if the marriage existed at the time of the offense. If you do this a lot, you might get stuck with a charge under 20.06, Continuous Smuggling of Persons. This law is worded strangely. It says you have to smuggle persons two or more times during a period that is longer than 10 days. So if you smuggle a bunch of people repeatedly during 10 days and then stop smuggling people, you only have to worry about 20.05. But if you ever have to come out of retirement, like 50 years later, then presumably you could be charged under this section. 20.06b just says that the jury only needs to agree that you smuggled people two or more times in a period longer than 10 days. They don't have to agree on which 10-day long period or the specific smugglings. So if jurors A, B, and C agree that smuggler Schmo transported Schmo's brother illegally on January 8th and harbored Benito the barber, who is here illegally, from detection sometime in July, but they believe smuggler Schmo when he says he didn't transport Peckerwood Pete illegally in August, but jurors D, E, and F think that he did, and they believe that he harbored the barber to protect him from detection. They all agree that he continuously smuggled persons, even though they don't agree on what conduct satisfies the elements of the offense. 20.06 Part C looks confusing, but it makes sense if you think about it. In the case of smuggler Schmo, he can't be charged with smuggling of persons under 20.05 for smuggling his bro. If the smuggling of Schmo's bro is going to be used to convict him under 20.06, but they can charge the offense under 20.05 in the alternative. For example, if the state can't prove the charge under 20.06, they have another shot at smuggler Schmo under 20.05. Or, if the conduct they are charging under 20.05 occurred outside of the 10 days period they are using to show continuous smuggling, or if 20.05 is submitted to the jury as a lesser included offense, which means if they can't agree that the smuggling happened at least twice, but they agree that it happened once, they can say he is guilty of 20.05 instead of acquitting under 20.06. Subsection D says if after smuggler Schmo smuggled Schmo's bro, he then harbored him for four separate times to avoid detection. Schmo can only be charged with one count of continuous smuggling because the victim, his bro, was the same each time. So even though he committed five smugglings, it's only one count. Well, that's the end of chapter 20. 
And next we come to 20A, trafficking of persons. And to get to start off with even more definitions. Yay! Child. If you are 17 years of age or less, you are a child. Forced labor or services. Labor or services not involving sexual conduct, which is defined as sexual contact, actual or simulated sexual intercourse, and here, simulated means with the appearance of actual sexual intercourse as long as any portion of the breast, genitals, or buttocks are exposed. Deviant sexual intercourse, bestiality, masturbation, sadomasochistic abuse, or lewd exhibition of the genitals, anus, or female breast below the top of the areola. And these services are obtained through force, fraud, or coercion. Traffic. Transport, entice, recruit, harbor, provide, or otherwise obtain another person by any means. That brings us to 20A.02, trafficking of persons. You commit trafficking of persons if you traffic someone with the intent that they engage in forced labor or services, or you force or coerce them into prostitution. This also applies to anyone who receives a benefit from these activities or partakes in the forced labor or services, or has sex with the trafficked person. It's the same thing for trafficking a child, but instead of just prostitution, the list includes pretty much anything sexual you can do with a child. Indecency, sexual performance, child porn, and employment harmful to children are also on there. In this offense, Coercion includes taking the person's government records or ID away, or threatening to take them. Similar to the smuggling statute, trafficking has the same provision about conduct directed towards the same victim. If you continually sexually abused a child that you trafficked, you can either be charged with trafficking or continual sexual abuse of a child. You can only be charged with both if the continual sexual abuse is charged in the alternative. If it occurred outside the period of the continual sexual abuse, so you trafficked the person and sexually assaulted them for 45 days, you can be charged with both if the prosecution limits the window for continual sexual abuse to just 30 of the 45 days. Or if you sexually abused a child for 30 days or more, and a few months later you traffic them, even if they turn 17 in the intervening time, you can be charged with both. Or if the trafficking is a lesser included offense of the continual sexual abuse of a child. However, this offense does not prohibit more than one count against the same victim. So you are guilty of one count of trafficking by paying another trafficker to have sex with someone they trafficked, and then you decide hey, this seems pretty lucrative. So you acquire that person from the other trafficker and open up your own brothel of trafficked persons. You can be charged with two counts of trafficking of the original victim. 20A.03, continuous trafficking of persons is very similar to 20.06, continuous smuggling of persons. Instead of the 10-day minimum period for smuggling, trafficking has a minimum window of 30 days. So you have to commit multiple trafficking offenses over a period that is 30 or more days long. 
The offenses can be against the same victim or multiple victims. But if they are against the same victim, you can only be charged with one count, no matter how many trafficking offenses were committed against that person or how long they continue. However, once you go longer than 30 days, as long as there is enough evidence of crimes during the particular time period chosen by the prosecution to satisfy the jury that at least two trafficking offenses occurred during that time, and they continued for at least 30 days, you can be charged with additional counts of trafficking that occurred outside the time period used for the continuous trafficking charges, even though you can't be charged with additional counts of continuous trafficking. If the prosecution wants to use the same time period for both charges, they have to include the trafficking offense in the alternative or as a lesser included offense. Speaking of prosecution, 20A.04, Accomplice Testimony and Immunity, says a party to the offense may be required to provide evidence or testify about the offense, and they may not be prosecuted for any offense they provide evidence for, and the evidence they provide can't be used against them, except in an aggravated perjury case. Here's something to ponder. Aggravated perjury is a third-degree felony, and continuous trafficking is a second-degree felony. So 20A.04 basically rewards the assholes for becoming dirtier assholes. Let's finish up here by talking about sexual offenses. First come the definitions. I will skip the obvious ones. We are all adults. We know what sexual intercourse is and what it means to be married. First, a quick note. In reading through the penal code, a lot of offenses refer to sexual organs. But this chapter refers to genitals. Is there a meaningful difference? Will we need to know that for the test that chapter 21 uses the term genitals while chapter 22 uses the term sexual organ? I wouldn't put it past them. In chapter 22, they repeat the phrase sexual organ, anus, or mouth. So many times that I started abbreviated as SAM. Here in chapter 21, they talk about genitals, anus, or breast. So let's call that bag, as in don't touch my bag. Sexual contact, touching the bag with intent to arouse or gratify, even if you aren't into it, but you're doing it for someone else's arousal or gratification. Deviant sexual intercourse, anal and oral. 21.04, continuous sexual abuse of child. If you are at least 17 years old and commit two or more acts of sexual abuse, I'll define that later, against a child who is 13 or younger in a period lasting at least 30 days, you have committed continuous sexual abuse of a child, even if you did not know the age of the child at the time. Sexual abuse is aggravated kidnapping with the intent to violate the victim sexually, indecency with a child, more than touching the child's breast, sexual assault, burglary with intent to commit one of these things, sexual performance by a child, trafficking a child for sex, or compelling prostitution. Once again, the jury does not need to agree on the specific acts that happened just that it happened at least twice, 
and they do not need to agree on the exact time period as long as two of the acts happened in a period long enough to constitute continual sexual abuse. If you are going to charge someone with continual sexual abuse of a child and also charge them with the crime they committed that constituted one of the acts of sexual abuse, then the latter must either be charged in the alternative, outside the period being used for the continuous charge, or considered as a lesser included offense. And you can't be charged with more than one count of continual sexual abuse of a child if all the sexual abuse was with one victim. You will have an affirmative defense here. If you are not a sex offender, are not more than five years older than your youngest victim, and did not use duress, force, or a threat against the victim. Since the child in this offense has to be 13 or less, and the abuser must be at least 17, that means this only applies if you are 17 or 18, because if you're 19, then your 13-year-old victim is already more than five years younger than you. I'm not going to give the unconstitutional AF 21.06 the time of day. 21.07 is public lewdness. For this crime, you've got to knowingly have sex, deviate sex, or sexual contact either in a public place or be reckless about whether someone is present who will be alarmed by your sex, anal, oral, or bag touching. 21.08 is a related offense of indecent exposure. You commit this offense if you expose your anus or genitals with the intent to arouse or gratify anyone, and you are reckless about whether someone else is present who will be offended or alarmed. So if you are about to rub it one out, make sure you have a look around first. Sweet before you skeet. 21.09 is particularly disturbing to me. The penal code is disturbingly specific about bestiality. You cannot knowingly lick your dog's butt, mouth to anus, fillet your dog, mouth to genitals, have sex or anal sex with your dogs, genitals to genitals, genitals to anus, or poop into your dog's butt, anus to anus and don't have your dog do any of those things to you either. You can't fondle your dog's genitals or anus, which are the last places I would ever want to touch on my dog. And here's my favorite part, including through clothing. You know that's in there because someone fondled their dog and got out of it because they had some weird dog panties on. It's okay to fondle their anus or genitals if it's part of a generally accepted and otherwise lawful veterinary practice or animal husbandry thing, like expressing anal glands or whatever. Also, you can't smear your seminal fluid on your dog, and you can't insert anything into their anus or genitals in a manner that is not generally accepted and otherwise lawful animal husbandry or veterinary practice. Now, we have been referring to dog, but in actual fact, this is the case for any animal. That's about it for the weirdest stuff. The rest is about doing this stuff in front of a child, obtaining, possessing, selling, offering, accepting, or transferring an animal for these purposes, participating as an observer, aiding a person to do these horrific things, or letting someone else do these things on your property. 
Then there is a general exemption for conduct that is generally accepted and otherwise lawful animal husbandry or veterinary practice. Thank goodness that's over. 21.11, indecency with a child. Do not touch a 16-year-old or younger's bag or touch the child with your bag. Also, don't make the child touch someone else's bag or have someone else touch their bag. Don't expose yourself knowing the child is present and don't cause the child to expose themselves. It doesn't matter if you knew they were 16 or not. If the child is your spouse, it's okay. Or if you weren't a sexual offender, not more than three years older, not the same sex, I don't know if that's gonna last, and did not use duress, force, or threats against the child. 21.12, improper relationship between educator and student. Educator here is kind of a misnomer. If you work at a school, don't have sex, deviant sex, or sexual contact with anyone who is enrolled in the school. That's sex, anal, oral, or bag touching. If you're doing these things with someone enrolled in a different school from the one where you work, or someone who is participating in an educational activity where students are the primary participants, then you're only in trouble if you hold an actual educator-type position. You know, something that requires having some kind of certification, even if you don't actually have the certification. I looked up the provision in the education code that is referenced here, and here is a list of positions included. Teacher, teacher intern, teacher trainee, librarian, educational aide, administrator, educational diagnostician, or school counselor, audiologist, occupational therapist, physical therapist, physician, nurse, school psychologist, associate school psychologist, licensed professional counselor, marriage and family therapist, social worker, or speech language pathologist. If you are one of those people, don't have any kind of sexual involvement with anyone who could be a student. Unless you are married to them, there is an affirmative defense for that. The affirmative defense also applies to relationships that began before you got your job at the school, as long as you are not more than three years older than the student. One last thing, the student's name cannot be released to the public and is not considered public information. 21.15 used to be improper photography but that was declared to be overbroad by our Supreme Court, so they rebranded it as invasive visual recording. To make sure the new law is specific enough, they've added some new definitions. Female breast has been limited to the portion of the breast below the top of the areola. So when you look at cleavage, you're not looking at female breasts. Intimate area means the bag, whether your genitals are naked or clothed plus pubic areas and buttocks. So basically the whole pelvic girdle and a snippet of boob. Changing area means a room or portioned area provided or primarily used for the changing of clothes and includes dressing rooms, locker rooms, and swimwear changing rooms. Promote means to manufacture, issue, sell, give, provide, lend, mail, deliver, transfer, transmit, Publish, distribute, circulate, disseminate, present, exhibit, or advertise, 
or offer or agree to do the same. Basically putting something out into the world. So to commit this crime, you have to photograph or by other electronic means record, broadcast, or transmit a visual image of someone's intimate area without their consent and with intent to invade their privacy. If the other person has a reasonable expectation that their intimate area is not subject to public view, or if they are in a bathroom or changing area. Or, if you know the content and character of such a visual recording, you promote it. Guess what's not sufficient to establish the person's consent? A sign indicated that the person is being recorded. Here comes more definitions from 21.16. Unlawful disclosure of intimate visual material. Texas's Revenge Porn Statute. Intimate parts, which different from intimate area in the last one only in that the genitals must now be naked. Promote is pretty much the same, but it adds procure. So procure, manufacture, issue, sell, give, provide, lend, mail, deliver, transfer, transmit, publish, distribute, circulate, disseminate, present, exhibit, or advertise, or offer or agree to do the same. Sexual conduct means sexual contact, bag stuff, actual or simulated sexual intercourse, deviant sexual intercourse, bestiality, masturbation, or sadomasochistic abuse. And they go out of their way to define what simulated sexual intercourse means, as if we couldn't guess. But I find it very curious that they don't define sadomasochistic abuse. Maybe they couldn't agree on a definition. After all, this was passed after Fifty Shades of Grey came out. Simulated sexual intercourse means the explicit depiction of sexual conduct that creates the appearance of actual sexual conduct and during which a person engaging in the conduct exhibits any uncovered portion of the breast, genitals, or buttocks. Visual material means any possible way of storing an image. I'm not going to go through them all. On the test, if it has any possible way an image can be stored, then it's visual material. Committing this offense means you disclose visual material that depicts another person without their consent, and the image shows their intimate parts or shows them engaging in sexual conduct and they had a reasonable expectation that the visual material would remain private and the person is harmed by the disclosure and they were identifiable in the picture. And that doesn't mean you can just crop out their face. Any information in the pictures or relating to the picture, even if it comes out later, counts as revealing their identity. Or you promote such visual material knowing its content and character on a website or other forum for publication. Or you threaten such a disclosure in order to obtain a benefit. Just because the person took the picture themselves using your phone or consented to you taking the picture or if they voluntarily sent it to you does not mean you could just send it to whoever you want. 21.16 specifically says these are not a defense. The only defenses, and they are affirmative defenses, are law enforcement, porn, and Pornhub. More specifically, to report unlawful activity, to enforce a law or get medical treatment, 
or for a legal proceeding, or a voluntary exposure in a public or commercial setting, or you are an interactive computer service and the material is provided by a third person. Voyeurism is where you observe another person without their consent while they are in a dwelling or structure and have a reasonable expectation of privacy in order to arouse or gratify your sexual desire. Sexual coercion is the last of the sexual offenses and once again comes with a set of definitions. Intimate visual material means disclosed without consent and depicting another person's intimate parts or shows them engaging in sexual conduct or threatening to disclose such an image for a benefit. Sexual conduct means the same thing as unlawful disclosure, but add the lewd exhibition of the bag. So it includes bad touching or exhibiting, sex, fake sex, self-love, oral, anal, bestiality, and sadomasochistic abuse. You commit sexual coercion by intentionally threatening, including by coercion or extortion, to commit a public indecency offense trafficking for prostitution or receiving a benefit from it, trafficking a child for sex or receiving a benefit from it, indecent exposure, indecency with a child, student-teacher relationship, invasive visual recording, unlawful disclosure of such a recording, voyeurism, sexual assault, or aggravated sexual assault in order to obtain something of value in return for not committing the threatened offense. Or, if you threaten any of these offenses, or homicide, kidnapping, smuggling, trafficking for forced labor of an adult or child, or receiving a benefit from such a thing in order to obtain intimate visual material of sexual conduct, causing arousal or gratification ex in exchange for not committing the offense. This applies to a threat regardless of how the threat is communicated, even if it was communication through email, a website, social media account, chat room, or other electronic or technological means. That's the end of sexual offenses. Next time we will cover the assaultive offenses and family offenses.